Before we get started, I just wanted to thank you guys for coming back for another episode of The Places You'll Go. If you enjoy the podcast and want to get involved in the community or take a guess at our weekly photo teasers, like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ThePlacesYG. If you have your own amazing stories to tell us, feedback about the show, or ideas for upcoming episodes, feel free to email us at theplacesyg at gmail.com or visit anchor.fm forward slash theplacesyg to leave us a text or voice message. Finally, if you want more people to find out about how awesome this show is, follow us on Spotify and Overcast and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Now, without further ado, enjoy this week's episode. This is a Wandering Hippies production. Hey, welcome to episode 15. Oh, hey! We're back. We are back from our long week break. <laughs> it wasn't, didn't really feel that long because we were busy as hell. Yeah, it, we, uh, <clears throat> we moved my sister into her new apartment. We moved Macy from Omaha to Davenport, Iowa. So that was fun. It was exhausting. A lot of driving across the state of Iowa. Yes. I rolled a freaking 26-foot U-Haul like I was a goddamn over-the-road trucker. Just busting that baby down at 75 miles an hour. We have a special guest this week, but it's not a human special guest. We're dog-setting for my good friend Pam. And we got a little trapper in the house tonight, and he's going to be up in our business because he's very concerned about what we're doing. Trapper, can you say hi? Say hi. No, but he's snuggling with Lakin right now. Yeah, he got to our house and was like, my parents are still here, but I'm going to come sit on your boobs. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, all right. I just got to do my homework. And this weekend, I'm freaking pumped. So we're going to a blues festival. In Keokuk, Iowa. That's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited for that. We love good music. And blues is some of the best good music that there is. True. So I'm so excited to check out this blues festival and have a good time. Because if we didn't have blues, would we even have emo? Would we even have anything? Without blues? You're right. God. Look at this lug. (laughs) <laughs> Stella is so jealous right now. Yeah, Stella's super jealous of other dogs. But she's a good girl. She's a beautiful dog. Trapper's currently just laying in Lakin's arms, resting on her boobaloobaloobies. <laughs> Loving every minute of his life at this moment. So if you hear extra... Uh, clicky toes. Yeah, clicky toes across that, the linoleum floor, That's that's what you're hearing. So we're going to focus in now on our what where our next episode is going to be. Where and, is the chance? Well, let me tell you, Lakin. We're heading back to the Northeast. Are we? As I warned y'all that we would be doing for quite a while. Because there's such a freaking cluster of states up there. That in order to, you know, kind of uh, even everything out. And try to make sure we hit all 50 before we start repeating too much. Uh, I knew we were going to have to do a few in, you know, in a row in the, in the New England states. And I tried to avoid doing just all of them all at once. And that's why we're having to do several over the course of the next few weeks and past weeks and whatever. So this week, we are going to live free or die. That's right. We're going to New Hampshire. That's their state motto. Is that not the best state motto? I saw that. 
everywhere. Live die. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Way to be, man. You know I what? Mean, I'm here for it. You know what, New Hampshire? New Hampshire. <laughs> Good for you. New Hampshire. Specifically, we're going to go to Manchester, New Hampshire, uh, as that is the largest city in the state. That's actually not why I picked it, but I'll tell you why I picked it later. So, Lego. That's Lakin. And that's Chance. And these are the places you'll go. Ba, ba, ba. The places you'll go. So despite the fact that a lot of people have probably not even heard of Manchester, New Hampshire, it is officially the largest city that we've ever done on this show, clocking in at a whopping 112,000 people, which to people from big cities is not, that's not big. But specifically, Manchester is actually the largest city in the entirety of the Upper Northeast. So that would be Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine. That's the Upper Northeast. So Manchester is actually the biggest city up there. But it is still the 259th largest city in the U.S. So if y'all are keeping score at home, we're still way away from the top 50. Like I warned you, we wouldn't be hitting top 50 cities. So At least not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not right off the bat. So Manchester is situated in southern New Hampshire. And it was once home to the Pinnacook Nation. This was a small band of Algonquin-speaking peoples who were related to the Wabanaki Confederacy but were not actually part of that coalition. At the time of European incursion, the Pinnacook had a complex societal structural structure. There we go. Fucking yes, words up already. Let's see. How far are we in? Uh, uh, third paragraph. Okay. Fourth, I guess. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> they you should have done your Sally Sells seashells. Shall I shall? I should have. What's the one that they say on uh, Anchorman? Oh, fuck Unique I, New York. Unique New U- York. U- York. New- <laughs> <laughs> That's what I said. You didn't say it. I didn't catch it. Perfect. Uh, anyway, Sorry. at the time of European incursion, the Pinnacook had a complex societal structure with land claims for certain families, local and regional systems of governance, and other things that uh, at best is difficult to explain. But suffice it to say, they were an intelligent and complex society that worked closely with their allies for any number of reasons. The Merrimack River, which bisects Manchester, was a very uh, important river to the Pinnacook, as all of their major cities were actually located along this river, including Manchester, which at the time they called a name that I'm going to butcher, but I'm going to try it, Nama Osake which meant good fishing place. Hell yeah. So that's pretty cool. The Pinnacook were one of the first nations to ever encounter Europeans, and as such were absolutely devastated by disease and heavily weakened before the overwhelming majority of European colonists came. But despite that, they still held quite a bit of strength in the area and had a strategic advantage when conflict began with the colonizers. The Pinnacook chief at the time had hoped to keep peace with Europeans, but as King Philip's War fired up, which if you listen to our episode on Narragansett, Rhode Island, you will recall King Philip's War being discussed there. 
But as that fired up, some bands of the Pentecost preferred to fight against the colonists rather than remaining neutral. And sadly, the entirety of the Pentecost nation was targeted as participants in the war and were forced to flee north and west to escape persecution. The independent nation now no longer exists, but their descendants are mainly part of the Abenaki First Nations of so-called Canada. So it has been a very long time since the Pinnacook have been in the Manchester area. So the most remaining Pinnacook descendants don't even live in, in the U.S. anymore. So at least it wasn't kind of, I mean, it was, it was a forced removal thing, basically, but not literally like... Uh, you know, not a trail of tears style forced removal. I mean, so. I guess we'll take what we can get. The area that would eventually become Manchester was initially uh, called Old Harry's Town by the colonizers who settled that area. And then shortly after the building of a mill in 1722, the Massachusetts colony, which it was at that time part of, granted it a charter as Kingstown in honor of a commander during Queen Anne's War. Then, as New Hampshire separated from Massachusetts, the charter was deemed invalid, and it was rechartered as Derryfield in 1751, of which there's actually still a park in Manchester called Derryfield Park, kind of a... D-E-R-R-Y. Yeah, yeah. Kind of as an homage to the original charter for the town when it was part of New Hampshire. One of those. Yeah, one of them states up there. After the American Revolution, Samuel Blodgett began the process of connecting Derryfield to Boston with a series of locks and canals that routed traffic around the Amasokig Falls on the Merrimack River. And I'm probably butchering that name. I apologize. I meant to look it all up and I'm a lazy fuck and didn't. So that's where we're at with it. I'm going to say maybe it's Amoskeg. I don't know. Do you want to look at it and see? Amoskeg? I have no oh, idea. maybe it's a Mosquiac. I don't know. Listen. We're not... Okay. We could have looked it up. The falls in Manchester. Those. In, any of y'all who've been there know what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, Blodgett envisioned Derryfield becoming the, quote, Manchester of New England, which was a reference to Manchester, England, which at that time was on the cutting edge of industry and technology as the Industrial Revolution was ramping up. Okay. So his, that was his hope. In 1810, upon Blodgett's suggestion, Derryfield was renamed Manchester uh, just before completion of Mill Number 11, which would become the largest cotton mill on the face of the planet. Wow. Yeah. In New Hampshire. Yep. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, the largest cotton mill in the in the world was in Manchester, New Hampshire. And the city was actually not officially reincorporated as Manchester until a few years after that. And it would very quickly become an industrial center of the Northeast. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Wait, I think I did see a museum. I would bet you did. I yeah. didn't write it down. Though. Oh, I left that out. You should know better. I should. The so yeah so there is a a, a museum that I'm pretty sure it's based off of where Mill Number Eleven was that you can go visit. If you would like to learn more about um, Manchester's industrial history. So the city was flooded with French Canadian immigrants to work at the many manufacturing facilities that were in Manchester. And the city was kind of a mix of the incredible, incredibly wealthy and extremely poor with a company town setting on the west bank of the Merrimack River 
in very affluent communities on the outer edges of the city. Many of the people who live in Manchester now are direct descendants of the French Canadians that immigrated there to work at the cotton mills. And there was more than just really cotton mills there, too. There was uh, all kinds of different types of manufacturing that cropped up in Manchester uh, that I didn't write down, but there were there was a ton of different things that were manufactured there from one, you know, at one point in time or another yeah. that made it a very important industrial city in the Northeast. Thanks to the massive amounts of capital flowing into the city, grand Victorian structures were built all over Manchester. So it's really just a super gorgeous place. And it's in New England, which, I mean, that's a very pretty area. I heard they have some good clam chowder there. Dang. In New England. <laughs> I can't stand you. The city is now an arts and cultural mecca yes. of the Northeast. Yeah, which is thanks in part to the University of New Hampshire, Manchester, uh, New Hampshire Institute of Art, and the school that is the reason that we're even doing this episode in the first place that I will soon be attending, Southern New Hampshire University. What? I know. You are? Yeah, I know. This Congrats. is the first time I've ever told Lincoln about it. Congrats. <laughs> <laughs> I knew, guys. Yeah, she knew. But yeah, I was originally going to Northern Arizona University and things just weren't working out with that. So I'm actually going, I'm majoring in uh, environmental science at Southern New Hampshire University. So he's going to be a science boy. That's right. So anyway, the city is now constantly listed as one of the best places in the U.S. for small business, upward mobility, affordability, and education. So it's a, honestly, it's just a great place to live yeah. top to bottom. You know, I saw a, um, a couple... Places where the employees raided, like, their bosses. Really? Yeah, and, like, they all got great reviews, like, good pay. That's awesome. I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's very cool. So, with all of these really awesome things to do and all the beauty of New Hampshire, I'm really excited to go in a couple of years when I'm graduating from SNHU. And when we do finally go there, what are we going to, where are we going to stay? Well, I'll tell you. All right. So, the Kent House of Chester, which is right outside of Manchester. Yeah. Had a hard time finding any vacation. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like homes or it's bed a, and breakfast. It's basically a, I mean. Bed and breakfast. Because <laughs> I can't talk. I should have done my unique, unique. <laughs> Nailed it. York. Anyway. <laughs> This beautiful bed and breakfast also doubles as a wedding venue. The estate is covered in gorgeous landscaping that makes a beautiful view any time of the year. They work with local artisans to provide immaculate services for the bride and groom and guests alike. The B&B has five rooms, all uniquely decorated. They also make for a great place for bridal and baby showers. Ew! I'm just kidding. I mean, I'm, I'm not. We're not, I love, we're not kidding. I love babies. Yeah. I hate baby showers. Just oh, yeah. let me send a gift to you. Yeah, I'll send you a present. I'll send you some money, whatever. whatever I don't you care. Do. I just don't want to go to the baby shower. Yeah, exactly. And I, I and I'll I'll hold your kid. I'll play with your kid when they're like five or six. I'll BS. <laughs> I'll, I will hug. I won't kiss them because that's not allowed. But I will hold them. And I will cherish it. The end. Anyway, on to the next one. And for our next bed and breakfast, Ash Street Inn, 
Located just minutes from downtown Manchester, this bed and breakfast has all the amenities of the 21st century with an 1885 Victorian home vibe. Nice. Yeah, the Victorian is big there. Oh, yeah. The inn has five, uh, once again, uniquely decorated rooms. Unique. New York. (laughs) With high ceilings and a private bathroom in each suite. Enjoy the wraparound porch in the summer and the fireplace in the winter. Packages are extra but are also a nice touch. Choose from hand-dipped chocolate-covered strawberries for $15. A bouquet of flowers for $45. Skip that for me. You already know. Oh, yeah. yeah. Give me the food. I'm already going with the chocolates. Don't worry about it. But wait, there's more. Oh, okay. Gourmet cheese plate. For $35, and let me tell you what. Sorry, maybe going with the cheese plate, okay. Both of them. Both of them? Yeah. Chocolates and cheese. Yeah, I know you're graduating, but like, you know, when we go. Yeah. But like, I could always, you know, I need pampering. I get it, I get it. You deserve it. I don't need pampering. (laughs) (laughs) You know me. I don't have to tell you. But the audience, I don't need pampering. Lowest maintenance person on the planet. Just feed me. Yeah. Tell me I'm pretty. Like, really? <laughs> you don't even have to tell me I'm pretty. <laughs> just kiss my forehead. <laughs> Not just any old regular Joe. I mean, Chance. Don't y'all start trying to kiss my forehead. <laughs> anyway. Just kidding. You totally kiss my forehead. I love it. Anyway. <laughs> breakfast starts at 7.30 on the weekdays and 8 a.m. on the weekends. There's a large variety of sweet and savory, which includes fresh cut fruit, Omelets, baked goods, and you can always have an egg sandwich on the go. Also, they provide cereal and oatmeal. So, yeah. you want to check those out, which the Ash Street Inn looked bomb. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds great. Yeah. I was in. Yeah. So, if you if you guys think Lakin is in rare form tonight, she is. We forgot to mention this at the top. For the first time since she's ever worked at this place, at her job. They are closing on Wednesdays now, which means she gets two days a week off, because even though they're not consecutive. we are short-staffed, which the whole world is, as most of you well know. Yeah. And, I mean, we're always short-staffed, so this is nothing new, but well, now yeah, it's acceptable. Working, you've been working six days a week for, oh, fuck, years. Oh, my whole I entire working I, yeah, life. I don't remember you not working six days a week. And plus, like, before COVID, I was working two jobs. Yeah. Which now I'm like, why would I ever do that? But also, I can't do that now. So right. But I'm also, I just got my depress, my depression meds up. <laughs> my depressed meds <mess> up. <laughs> and it's had a full like three weeks to kick in, and I'm not dead this week, which is new. Nice. So I I want to contribute that. She isn't. She's in rare form, and I love it. I'm glad. <laughs> So, serotonin. So it's recreation time. Southern New Hampshire has a lot of really pretty places to visit. It's got the White Mountains. It is obviously in the northern end of the Appalachian Range. And um, there's some really gorgeous places right in Manchester, like the Falls that I mentioned earlier. And it, Can you say it? No, I'm not going to. Okay. <laughs> but anyway... <laughs> A great secluded natural place to visit that I want to go see is Lake Massabesic. Nailing Masabesic. it. Massabesic. Yeah, it's got to be it. Lake Massabesic. 
The name comes from the Pinnacook name, meaning place of much water. And it is technically a reservoir, but I'm pretty sure it's a, a natural reservoir that may have been like fortified with a, a dam to, you know, fill it up a little bit more. But it provides much of the water for Man Manchester and surrounding areas. And as such, there is no swimming in most of the lake. And some types of recreation are not permitted in the areas that are set aside for watershed protection. But there is a, there's, there's a ton of types of recreation that you can enjoy at the lake. There are miles of recreational, there's 50 miles of recreational trails that you can take all around the lake. They allow pets, cycling, and horseback riding on those trails. Uh, you can fish and hunt in designated areas as long as you got the proper permissions and, you know, that sort of thing to do it. And there is some flat water recreation allowed. So you can boat on the lake. You just can't. Uh, operators of boats can at no point in time come in contact with the water. What is the point? Just uh, to sail around the lake, I guess. Not for me, dog. <laughs> I get too hot. <laughs> But it is a really special place. It's just east of Manchester in a very beautiful wooded area. And you don't even realize that you're so close to such a good-sized city. It has a lot of wetlands and tons of wildlife. In fact, the National Aud New Hampshire Audubon Center, every time I see the abbreviation NH and then Audubon after it, my brain instantly, I want to say the National Audubon Center, and I don't know why. I have no idea the reason for it, but my brain, uh, three times I've read it. And every time I said national in my head. Three like, no, times I've read it. <laughs> and three times I read it wrong. <laughs> Wild. I know. I get to sleep in tomorrow, guys. Yeah. Yay! I won't, but I could. Right. right. But anyway, the New Hampshire Autobahn Center is located right in the middle of the lake, kind of on this little, like, peninsula-like area. So... It, there's obviously a ton of bird watching to do and all kinds of other wildlife that are endemic to New England. So be sure to check them out at www.manchesternh.gov because it is part of the city. Forward slash departments, forward slash waterworks, forward slash lake dash mesavic dash watershed. Backslash <laughs> your mom. <laughs> Sorry, Mallory, I didn't mean it. <laughs> All right, time to... What else are we going to do to entertain ourselves? So, some fun things to do in Manchester. Our first stop is the Courier... 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 The Courier Museum of Art. Picasso, Monet, O'Keeffe are a few featured year-round along with many other famous artists. They also... Put on public programs like Family Day with activities that are fun for all ages, classical music events, and guided tours. Very cool. And then we have the SEE Science Center, which I wanted to say C so bad. But it's a it's an acronym. I think so. Okay. If not, New Hampshire, let me know. Anyway, <laughs> a children's science center with a lot of hands-on activities, which I want to go. I love hands-on. Hell yeah. Then we have the McIntyre Ski Area. Enjoy skiing, snowboarding, or if you're me, snow tubing. Charming Fair Farm, a petting zoo that is fit for all ages. And I saw a picture of a llama, so it's bound to be good. Llama, 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 duck. Check out the base a baseball game at the Northeastern Delta Dental Field. That's so stupid. <laughs> Stop. Listen. <laughs> 
Stop changing the names of stuff to stupid-ass company names. What is the Sears Tower now? Uh, it's the Willis Tower. But Stupid. Okay, but to be fair... I don't care. The Sears, Sears Tower, it was owned by the Sears Corporation. Sears yeah, but that's how we've always known it. I know, but... That's, but Delta Dental? Yeah, those are Not stupid. even a good dental insurance. Or like the White Sox play guaranteed rate field. Yeah. Fucking stupid. Do Stop a backflip off a bridge. Bye. Seriously. Anyway. Just give it give it a good name. Name it for somebody famous in the franchise or somebody yeah. famous in the town. Whatever. And then plaster your fucking company logo all over it all you want. Yeah. I'm but tired. Stop of... naming the field. That's Delta Dental That's Field. That's stupid. It sounds stupid. I'm sure it's a beautiful field, but it's stupid. I'm sorry, whoever plays there. I'm sure it's like the woodchucks or like the (laughs) meerkats. You didn't look up the the name of the team? No, why would I? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, go on. Okay, so next time maybe I should. It's none of my business. It's not even a pro team. I'm sorry. You guys guys matter. It's fucking fired. You guys matter. Ooh, okay. I'm sorry. Stop interrupting me. Anyway, <laughs> Studio 550 Art Center. This art center holds classes for children's and adult children's <laughs> children <laughs> and adults. Children's and adults alike. <laughs> Get your acrylic paint on or try your hand up pottery. <laughs> okay. Smallies. <laughs> okay. Uh, moving on. <clears throat> <laughs> it's time to it's time for food. Let's talk about food. I'm full, thanks. <laughs> there are so many places to eat in Manchester. It's like I said, this is a, for us is definitely a big city. But it's it's I like mean, a foodie place. Yeah, though. yeah, yeah. All really all of the northeast is very foodie. Like you get some good stuff going on. And it makes sense, you know, given the number of people that live up that way. But I narrowed it down by trying to keep any recommendations centered into the most kind of historic districts like downtown, where all of the awesome venues are, like the uh, Southern New Hampshire University Arena, which is like a super popular music venue, and several other just like lots of tons of really cool things to do in the downtown historic districts and stuff like that. And I found a place that's really awesome, and it is actually actually New Hampshire's original craft brew bar, their their terms, and it's called Strange Brew Tavern. <gasps> Strange Brew! Yes! Yes! <laughs> Strange Brew... <clears throat> Strange Brew was founded in 1999 and quickly became one of the hottest spots for food craft beer, and live music in all of New Hampshire and in much of the Northeast. They bring in tons of blues and a variety of acoustic artists. Oh. Yeah. And they serve their great meals like their caramelized bacon appetizer. Literally, it's just caramelized bacon on a plate as the appetizer. I know. Fucking sign me up. Is this like caramelized like an onion? Or caramelized like caramel bacon? No, no, I'm thinking caramelized like, like an, an onion. onion. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Well, sign me up. They have a falafel wrap. Ooh. Sounds amazing. I love falafels. I found this out on our honeymoon. Yes. We found out that we like falafels. Yes. Yeah. And they also have a build your own burger. 
and they serve all of these things late into the night so that you can order it right in the middle of a blues show. You can just sit there, chill out, listen to some good music, and eat some amazing food off their menu. It is a major hotspot to visit in Manchester, and it's in the heart of all the action in this bustling city. So um, it, it just looks like an awesome place, and we're going to have to stop there when we head to Manchester, and I suggest that you do too. So be sure to check them out at strangebrewtavern.net. That tells you how old the tavern and how long it's been there because they're still using a dot net. Hell yeah. (laughs) When the internet was young. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's right. So speaking of brews, it's beer palooza time. Strange beer palooza. There are a bunch of breweries in, Man- in Manchester and really in all of the Northeast. So it's pretty tough to pick out just one, but it's my job to pick out one. So let's go with Swift Current Brewing Company. This very unique brewery sits right along the Merrimack River, uh, obviously, given the name Swift Current. Mm-hmm. And has beer that is distributed across the entire state and across much of the Northeast. Uh, Swift Current, so this is their um, this is their about section, basically. I just copy-pasted it. I'm just going to read it because they do a good job describing. At Swift Current Brewing, we brew beers that we want to drink. From big, bold flavors to classic styles and everything in between, if you love locally crafted beers, grab a life vest and enjoy the ride. You know what's funny? <laughs> I was just thinking Swift Current. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to need a life jacket. <laughs> they, they were one step ahead of you. Good for them. They must be dads. <laughs> I'm guessing. It's got to be a dad joke thing. Yeah. They're, either way, they're a very cool brewery with awesome, very popular beer, and they have a great tap room. It looks so old and so cool, and they host live music there. Uh, they have an awesome atmosphere in the old factory building that they're set up in. And they have great beer like River Runs Rye, which is an IPA with citrus hop character that is complemented by dry spiciness from the rye malt. And Governor Murphy's Dam, which is an Irish red ale that is a kind of malty, dark amber ale to enjoy when the days are getting longer and the temperatures are getting warmer. Mm. So they sound like a really awesome place to chill out and have a few beers. And generally just relax by the river. So be sure to check them out at swiftcurrentbrewing.com. And with that, we're going to move on into the first story. So we'll be back. All right, so we're back. And this week I will be leading us out because I chose Moida. Moida. And I titled this story In the Wind. And I do want to give a quick trigger warning for violence against women and descriptions of heinous crime. So for anybody who's uncomfortable with that, just be aware. I am prepared. I know you are. On July 30th of 1998, the family of Mindy West reported her missing to the police in Manchester. Mindy had not been seen for more than two days, but to her friends, that wasn't all that strange. Mindy had graduated Londonderry High School at the top of her class, and she had a bright future, and was quickly accepted into the University of New Hampshire at Manchester. In her freshman year, she got caught up with the wrong crowd, unfortunately. 
Mindy got involved in hard drugs and began to do sex work to support her her habit. Shortly thereafter, she dropped out of college. For the next 10 years, Mindy wandered from job to job and rehab center to rehab center. And in 1996, her mother died, and life got much, much worse for Mindy. She slipped into a downward spiral and spent the next two years battling her addiction and working for just enough money to get by. Then on July 28th, some of her new friends were hanging out with her near Concord Street in Manchester, but they didn't bat an eye when she left with her boyfriend and would never be seen alive again. Mm. Her family, however, knew that there was a problem when they hadn't heard from Mindy in two days. They reported her missing to the police, as I mentioned, and the search began. Police started interviewing some of her closest friends, but the problem that they encountered was that they couldn't get reliable statements from her cohorts since their memories were, let's say, not what they used to be. Because of drugs? Yeah. Okay. Additionally, police were having trouble finding her boyfriend to chat with him. A full three months would pass before any trace of Mindy would turn up, but when it did, it wasn't what her family had hoped for. On October 4th of 1998, Mindy was found. To quote police detective John Patty um, from WMUR in 2005, he said, The key to this whole case is the location where she was discovered. It doesn't make any sense for her to have been there. Mindy was found in a wooded area off of Hoose Road in Manchester. She had been tied to a tree, strangled to death, and left to rot. Jesus. Police did what they could to figure out who killed her, but given the nature of her work, it was difficult to pinpoint who she'd been with last, and from what I can tell, either her boyfriend was ruled out as a suspect or never found because they never mentioned him again. So, I I don't know. What really happened with him? He's just never brought up again in any police report. What? Yeah. So, aside from the fact that she was last seen with him, he's never mentioned again. Or like a sound alibi. Yeah, maybe. That's what I'm saying. Maybe they ruled him out as a suspect. I I don't know. Sadly, information about Mindy's murder is scant. And though every site says to report any information that you may have, they provide almost no details about her or the circumstances surrounding her death. In fact, only one website even mentioned that she was a mother. Oh, wow. I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not totally... It's not really that weird because on ongoing crimes like this, they... Try not to release too much. That's fair. Like but it's unsolved been, crimes. It's been handed off to the cold case unit for a long time. So they've ruled it as cold. So you would think they would start releasing a little more in hopes of getting something. I don't, I don't know. It's their way of weeding out people that would admit to it. Like the confession killer. Yeah. Or like people, I don't know, like people giving them detailed information that's still fake. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's possibly the case, or it's possible they simply just don't know the circumstances since she spent so much time in the woods. But many sites make sure to mention that she was a transient and a sex worker. 
Oh, of course. Yeah. And they seem to be awfully dismissive of the case. The well, way yeah, I, because she's a sex worker. Yeah, yeah. The way I kind of see it, though, is that Minnie was a human with a two-year-old child that was left without a mother. She was working again on getting clean for the sake of her child and making money however she could. And no matter how dangerous her line of work was or what she had done in the past, she didn't deserve to die. Especially not like that. No, and like, you know what? Getting clean from drugs is so hard. Mm -hmm. Like, it is one of the hardest things that you will ever have to do if you are in that situation. And people want to dog people And I understand that. that the initial decision to do drugs is definitely your own decision. But it stops being... A conscious decision after a point. Exactly. Just like the simple, straightforward fact is it's a disease. And there's only so much you can do to fight it after a point in time. Like you, a lot of people lose the ability to fight it at all. So yeah, the initial decision, for sure, they made that call. They decided to do those drugs. But then it stops being their call. And, And I think it's bullshit that we demonize people that have addiction issues. That's why we have such a problem in America. Yeah, yeah. Because instead yeah. of looking for reform, we are... Or figuring out a way to help them, you, you know, spend money and time to help them get clean. We're just going to find them and find them and find them. Send them to prison so they can never get a job, you know, just keep beating them into the ground until there's nothing left of them. Until they're found out, found tied to a tree in the woods. Exactly. Whatever the case may have been, whoever killed Mindy wasn't found. And it is, like I mentioned, it is a cold case now. But that's not the end of my story. One year after Mindy was killed, another body was recovered in Auburn, New Hampshire, which isn't a terribly far drive from Manchester. At the time that the body was discovered, nobody exactly knew who the woman was, but Eventually, fingerprints would uncover that she was Rosalie J. Miller of Manchester. There's even less information about Rosalie, but we know that she was also a sex worker, and she was also found asphyxiated and left for dead in a wooded area sometime in January of 1997. I don't know if she had family, but based on the fact that she's mentioned as a side note in other articles... Or has a single short paragraph detailing the discovery of her body. I'm assuming there wasn't anybody to miss her. Yeah. And that's the thing, like, <clears throat> I just feel it's that's why they're high risk mm-hmm. sex workers. Because a lot of times... Families have cut them off or don't care what happens to them anymore. And listen, sex workers wouldn't have a job if there weren't people to like, willing to pay for it. Mm-hmm. And this might be, like, probably, I don't know, what people don't think is okay, but I think, whatever, sex work. Sex work is work. And you know what? If, if, you, if you are voluntarily doing it, if you're making the decision on your own accord to make money by having sexual interactions with other consenting adults, who cares? I just think that we have a really fucked up world right now, and, yeah, like, you know, there's a lot of rape, and I think that, like, if somebody, I don't, you know, I'm sure not all of it will go away, but I do think that, like, if there is the ability 
Because men are going to pay for sex. Women yeah. are going to pay for sex. Like, And sex work is going to happen whether it's legal or not. Exactly. And it has been. Forever. But if, but if we make it legal. And, and make it so that these people are protected. Require, require re- regular welfare checkups. Require regular uh, sexually transmitted disease testing. You know, stuff like that. Make it a make it a safe, re- regulated uh, industry and line of employment. Then you're not going to have people going missing, sex workers going missing like they do. You're not going to have situations like I'm talking about in this story. But also, there's the point where there's just the people that just oh, don't care. It's, it's going to happen, but it's going to reduce. No, I agree. But you like at the, the same time, like to some people, sex workers aren't people, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's gross. They're doing what they need to do to survive. Yeah. And it's sad that drugs are involved. Whatever. Yeah. But I just think it needs to be destigmatized. Like Agreed. It's they've been doing it in Las Vegas forever. Yeah. You know? It's it's been around for literally forever. So I just don't understand. It's not going away. We might as well tax it. Yeah. Tax it, regulate it. Anyway, off our let's get off our soapbox because my story's not over. Sorry. <laughs> so, like I said, I, I'm guessing there wasn't anybody to miss Rosalie because there was so little information about her, and her body was discovered by a passerby. She mm. was not reported missing. Oh, so that's yeah. so sad. Regardless, um, regardless of all that, Rosalie and Mindy's murders were terrible and tragic. Two lives were extinguished that in no way deserved to be. And both murders had an odd number of parallels, but investigators had yet to connect the two. Then, in 2004, a group known as System to Apprehend Lethal Killers, or STOC, began compiling a profile for what they believed to be an active serial killer operating in Upper New England, dubbed the Main South Woodsman. Also, side note, Stock has uh, an investigator who's involved in the Green River Killer case, and they have a lot of experts on uh, serial murder and on uh, uh, sex addiction and stuff like that. So these are, this is a crack team of experts. Oh, I love it. For a very long time, they didn't publicly release the profile, though I was able to eventually find it. And if you're really interested and would like to read a little bit more about the profile of the Maine South Woodsman, um, I will, we will link that article in the um, sources section of this podcast episode on Anchor. So it is, it's the link to stalk, S-T-A-L-K, Inc.com. So if you're if you're interested in that, the main South Woodsman profile is on there. But like I said, for a very long time they did not release the uh, the profile because it was an ongoing investigation. But what I can give you right now, and I and I think is important for this story, is the uh, modus operandi of the murderer of the of the woodsman. He preys on sex workers, oftentimes smaller women, and many times mothers specifically. Oftentimes, mm. Latina women, which neither one of these two were, but that doesn't Rosa necessarily. Wasn't? No, Rosalie was not. N- neither okay. one of them were. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. 
I wonder if he was Latino. Because, uh, like, no, or, no. like, he in, had a Latino, like, mother. In the, uh, was it, I don't know about that, for sure, one way or the other, because they don't mention that, but in the profile, he's a white male. Okay. It probably over 40 years of age. Okay. But, and he almost always dumps their bodies in remote wooded areas. And this was all across Maine, Massachusetts, and New Hampshire. They gathered that the woodsman was responsible for at least seven murders across the area, possibly including Mindy and Rose. Four years after the profile was generated, a man named Alex Skinsney was arrested in Worcester, Massachusetts, for sexually assaulting a female friend at a motel. Investigators eventually turned their eyes to him for the 1996 murder of Teresa Stone, who was raped, strangled with a ligature, and left in a wooded area in Massachusetts. Hmm. Pretty DNA, close. Yeah. DNA found from the 2007 rape case matched DNA that was found on Teresa's body. Huh. He would eventually admit to having had sex with Teresa, but claimed that it was consensual. But given the fact, yeah. That, but was the murder? No. He what he what he was arguing is that he had sex with her before she was murdered, and that was consensual, and it was all circumstantial that his DNA was there. But he was arrested. The other charge that he was arrested for was raping and attempting to murder one, a, a woman that he was quote unquote friends with. She was a sex worker that he had. Uh, was a regular customer of. And so they kind of started to postulate that maybe this is how he found all of his victims, is that he frequented their services. Right. And yeah, so at this point, investigators from surrounding states, armed with the profile of the woodsman, began to turn their eyes to Skinsney as he did match some of the aspects of the profile. Nope. He was charged in both the rape in 2007 and the 1996 murder of Teresa Stone and was convicted of both, including the murder, like I said, and was convicted of murder in the first degree and sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole. He did try to uh, appeal out of that, Mm -hmm. but the Massachusetts Supreme Court upheld that conviction. Okay. Um, his lawyers maintain that he had no involvement in any other murders. And sadly, thanks to the age of most of the crimes and the state of decomposition of most of them, um, it's un- unlikely that Skinsney will ever be charged with the crimes unless he does decide to confess. The only reason they caught him for Teresa Stone's murder is because they found her body so quickly uh-huh. that they were able to gather DNA evidence. They found her body in a barrel. In a wooded area. And were able to gra- gather DNA evidence off of the body and save it for literally a decade. Wow. Yeah. So, things that start, other things that started to correlate were, like I said, there's been many bodies found across Upper New England that they're sure were the work of the woodsmen. They don't know for sure that Rosalie and Mindy were because... Their profiles don't 100% match all of his victims. Okay. But they are early enough that it is possible. And Teresa Stone didn't match 
the profile of his victims. But he was, but if it, assuming that the woodsman and Skinsney are the same person, and they think that Teresa Stone's murder, because it is so similar to other woodsman murders, mm-hmm. they think that she was probably a victim of the woodsman, which would mean that if Skinsney killed Teresa Stone, then he's the woodsman. Okay. So she didn't totally match the profile either, but she was smaller. Okay. A sex worker and a mother. The only thing that didn't match was being Latina. Okay. So it's possible that he was targeting regulars, like, I I don't know how to word it, um, targeting non-Latina sex workers initially and potentially started targeting Latina sex workers, maybe because many of them were illegal immigrants to the United States and had very few ties, even fewer ties than other sex workers did because Mindy was reported missing pretty quickly after she was murdered. It yeah. just took them a long time to find her body. Ugh. But maybe things like that steered him. Yeah, for sure. Because these are people who actually have ties <laughs> to the area and have someone who misses them. Mm-hmm. Whereas illegal immigrants or, you know, that sort of thing don't have someone with, oh, don't have any ties to the area and don't have anybody to miss them, yeah. you know? And, like, what sex worker is going to go to the police, you know, that's... Right. You know what I mean? Like, even if their friend goes missing, like, they're scared to go talk to the police because they're an illegal immigrant. They're a sex worker, you know? Yeah. It should be noted that every bit of information that can be gleaned about the woodsman or other crimes is pretty old. Even if you go to the stockinc.com profile of the woodsman, You'll see that the last time that, that was updated was 2008. The thing is, because basically the woodsman stopped killing at the same time that Skinsney was arrested. So the types of crimes that the woodsman was responsible for were being committed from the late 80s until the early 2000s and just suddenly stopped, meaning that we may never know for sure who the woodsman was. So I guess he's still in the wind. I, I find it very hard to believe that it wasn't Skinsky. Oh, I agree. Just the correlation that they stopped after he was arrested and sent to prison. And he's, like, perfecting his craft. Right, right. You can see, like, the earlier work. And then it it built up to almost exclusively Latina sex workers around Wooster and... And uh, some areas of southern Maine and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. The story is wild, and I hope that someday we can figure out who the woodsman was or is. I obviously am leaning towards Kinsney. I am not an expert. You know, uh, uh, all, all suspects are innocent until proven guilty. But if you do have any more information about the murder of Mindy West or Rosalie Miller, because... Like I said, neither one of them deserved to die. So it would be great to find justice for their families. Please contact the New Hampshire State Police Cold Case Unit at 603-271-2663. And with that, we'll take a break and move on to a less heavy story with Lakens. Hey. Hey. Have you guys ever thought of... Man. I really want to go to the awesome places that Lakin and Chance talk about. 
but it's such a hassle to plan a vacation, and it's so expensive. Or maybe your thoughts don't necessarily center around us, which I don't know why they don't, but maybe you just want to get away and don't really know where to start. Maybe let us take the stress out of vacation planning for you? I love to plan literally everything, and I want yours to be the next vacation that I plan. He really does love planning everything. (laughs) (laughs) So put my nerdy husband to work for you. I cannot wait to help you plan your dream vacation and make it affordable because we ball on a budget, so I get it. Plus, now is the time as more and more people are getting the COVID vaccine and states are starting to reopen. 2021 may be one of the best summers in recent memory to get out and go to the places that you've dreamt about. We're going to take some fun and safe trips this summer, and I think you should too. So visit wanderinghippies.com today to get started planning your dream vacation. And just wander more. All right, so we're back from the break, ready for a nice spoopy story from Lakin. Sure she's got something great for us. Me? Yeah. Oh, I do. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay carry on. <clears throat> I titled this It's a Bad Day for the Hills. Okay. Betty and Barney Hill were driving through the White Mountains of New Hampshire. The couple took a spontaneous belated honeymoon. They were married for 16 months before but hadn't had the time to celebrate properly. Barney worked for the U.S. Postal Service, and Betty was a social worker. They both worked very long hours. When the couple wasn't working, they were both members of the NAACP. Okay. Um, The Hills were ahead of their time, and often were judged because Barney was black and Betty was white. And this was the 1960s. Oh, this was the 60s? I thought it was like 58 or something like that. 1961. Okay, okay. And that's basically unheard of for white people in America at this time. Yeah. They were both passionate about advancing the civil rights movement. They were both... um, They both volunteered for their church. And so they were just really busy. So they finally decided, you know what? Let's let's take three days. We're going to go right now. We're not even going to stop by the bank. Okay. We're going to go. Where'd they go? They went. Well, that doesn't really matter. They went to Canada, right? They did go to Canada. I know. They went to go see the Niagara Falls. I know a little bit about this story, but. They went to go see the Niagara Falls. Okay. Okay. All that fun stuff. On the last day of their honeymoon, they left a diner in Vermont at 10 p.m., hoping to make it to Portsmouth, New Hampshire by 2 a.m., which is where they lived. Which is like, what, 45 minutes from Manchester? Yeah. And I'm sorry, guys, I couldn't find a spooky story that had enough detail. No, this is a good one, so. Yeah. So while driving through the mountains, they saw what looked like floating lights in the sky behind them. But Barney wasn't too worried. He was a World War II vet. And an aviation enthusiast. Okay. However, the farther they drove, the lights began getting closer and brighter. As they hit the winding roads, the lights seemed to duck behind trees but reappear even closer to the moving car. 
Barney stops the car and grabs his handgun and saw something that was big as a jet, but flat, like a pancake. Oh, shit. He grabbed his binoculars to get a better look. And as he peered into the windows of the strange object, he noticed beings, but not human beings. They were gray and wearing black uniforms. And told Barney to put his binoculars down. Wait, but how did they tell him to... Like a megaphone? No. I don't think they were talking. Oh, so like telekinesis. Is that telekinesis? Yeah, I thought telekinesis is when you like move stuff with your mouth. Oh, yeah. Telepathy? No, it is telekinesis. Yeah, telepathy telepathy is is moving shit. Telekinesis is talking, yeah. Barney went to raise his handgun, but found himself struggling to lift his arm. Oh, shit. He realized that something wasn't right and started to run back to the car. When Barney got back to the car, him and Betty started to hear strange beeping noises from the trunk of their car. Okay. Slowly, the lights faded, and so did the hills, into a deep sleep. Oh. The next day, the hills woke up at their house, completely unaware of how or when they got there. After a little investigation, they noticed Barney's shoes were scuffed. Both their watches had stopped working, and Betty's dress had been torn. Betty immediately started researching. She went to the library and tried to find anything on strange aerial phenomena. Okay. So she goes to the Navy, the Air Force, and she she puts in... She's raising a stink with everybody. Yeah, she's like, listen, this happened to me, and... Surprisingly, the Air Force was like, all right, we'll look into it. I think this was the time when the Air Force was still relatively interested, probably because of the Cold War. Yeah. They're like, like, oh. We don't need no fucking commie, commie airplane things over our territory. And Barney was like, no, dude, no. Like, I'm a veteran. He's like, I know what a commie looks like when I see one. This was no commie. Uh, let's see. Years pass. Nope. Years pass, and the couple both were having terrible nightmares. Oh. So bad, in fact, that they both started seeing a psychiatrist by the name of Benjamin Simon, who eventually would help the Hills collect the lost pieces of the puzzle they had been searching for. Through hypnosis, the Hills recounted the night of their blackout. They told their therapist that the UFO had landed over their car. They walked the hills up. They, as in the the uh, greys. We call them greys now, but they weren't yeah, called yeah. greys at this time. Right. So the aliens. They walked the, the hills. Euphonauts. They walked the hills up a long metal ramp into the craft. Once the couple was inside the craft, they were directed to separate rooms. They were told to climb up on metal tables and undress. The gray beings took hair and nail samples. Pieces of their skin were peeled off. The samples were placed on what appeared to be glass slides. And so all of this is being recalled during hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I'm sure they're aware that they're saying this, but they're not 
totally in control. So Betty described them sticking a long needle into her stomach to check if she was pregnant. Oh. Betty noticed that one of the grave figures was the leader, telling people what to do, how to do it, and ordering the others around while they stood to the side. Betty asked the leader where the spaceship had taken her. She replaced something that looked like the star map. No, nope, 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 nope. Betty asked the leader where the spaceship had taken her. And in her hypnosis, she replicated something that looked like a star map. Oh. Years later, Marjorie Fish attempted to to decipher Betty's reproduction of the map and concluded that the aliens had taken the hills to the Zeta Ridiculi star system. Yeah, I think that's right. She sent it to a colleague and he confirmed that it was, in fact, the Ridiculi. Ridiculi? Can I see it? It's probably Latin. Ridiculi? Radiculi star system. In one of Barney's sessions, he admitted that they had j- put a device on his testicles, and although he did not orgasm, he's pretty sure they took a sperm sample. Okay. Which leads me to believe, like, were they checking to see if Betty was pregnant, or were they taking eggs? Maybe. Betty also recalls the beings were excited when they found out they could remove Barney's teeth. Oh. Betty said she laughed and told them, yeah, they're dentures. <laughs> <clears throat> Dr. Simon concluded that Barney's recollection was fantasy caused by Betty's dreams. Um, kind of like sympathy pains yeah, kind yeah. of thing. But Barney disagreed with Simon. He knew what he saw. Barney did agree with Simon, however, on one thing. His anxiety at the abduction was now gone. Oh, really? Yeah. He was no longer afraid. Okay. After going through the the hypnotherapy or whatever? Yeah. He was no longer... He's like, oh, I remember it now. And I'm at peace. And it doesn't seem like they had, like, a negative... Not super negative, no. So, up until this point, the public view of aliens and UFOs were mostly pretty positive... People thought that they were just beings trying to contact the Earth. After this event, though, people started to be a little bit more apprehensive about aliens. Yeah. This was, like, this was one of the first, like, major abduction stories that, like, that made, like, global press. Yeah. That that got very, a lot of interest from the, pu- the public. They got a lot of a lot of press. Yeah, they were yeah. huge. And I I think that did pretty well for their relationship. And, like, I, I don't know. I just think that. Yeah. I'm sure it hindered them in some ways because people are like, oh. Oh, yeah. I'm a hillbilly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Sorry, hillbillies. I don't want to lump you in that group. Anyway. But movies like Encounters of the Third Kind and The X-Files were all inspired by the Hill story. Of course, there were critics. People that not only didn't believe the Hill story, but called them crackpots. Nuts. Psychiatrists saying that their experience was nothing but a hallucination. But how did Betty just come up with the random star system? Yeah. That actually correlated? 
During hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay. what are the odds that in the 1960s she'd ever seen a star map of that system? Yeah, that's that was mine. I'm like, what? Yeah. She just pulled a random star system that we don't even... That's right. In the 60s? Did we know that kind of stuff? I mean, no, no, I know no. we knew, had a good idea of... We did, but there wasn't, like, Google. You couldn't just, like, go look it up. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm yeah. saying. So, <clears throat> Betty and Barney would spend the rest of their lives exploring the world of the paranormal. Several books were written about them, and UFO experts would come to the hills for advice. Oh, damn. Their story has been told by podcasts, TV shows, movies, and even Cartoon Network show Gravity Falls. Oh, really? Yep. So the next time you're driving through the Appalachian Mountains, look to the skies. You might just see some curious grays on the horizon. Oh, shoot. Yeah, this is like... It was, like I said, it was the, like the first major abduction story. I think there was uh, there was like an abduction story in like Argentina or something that technically happened before this, but it really didn't make the global press like because at that time the U.S. and the Soviet Union were basically the center of the world. Yeah. So like things that happened in less developed nations didn't sim- simply didn't make the headlines like stuff that like this, like the Hills story. Right. If you want to listen to a good show that takes a very deep dive into the Hills story, yes. Strange Arrivals season one. Good. Just listen to all of Strange Arrivals. They are currently releasing episodes of season two. It's a fantastic show that really dives into. UFOs. And into, that's by Grim and Mild, with, right? It is part of the Grim and Mild network, but I think Aaron Minkie's an executive producer, but he's not, like, he does isn't really all that involved in the show. Like, he's not in it at all. He likes ghosts and weird stuff. Yeah, yeah. But. But it's, a, it takes a good deep dive into the whole phenomena of, of extraterrestrials. And it's definitely worth checking out. If, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, I am, and I love it. It's the best podcast I've ever listened to about that sort of thing. So Yeah. That was a good story. The The story of the Hills is a great one. It's a classic if you're into UFO, ufology. Yeah. It's, it's a great story. It is. I hope this triggers you guys to go want to learn a little bit more about the Hills and a little bit more about ufology and... And what there is out there, because it have is... we done an alien story? Uh, yeah, I did the abduction of oh, Travis. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, I yeah. forgot about that. Yeah, Walton. So number two. Yeah, this is our second alien story. I think only our second. And I'm sorry, guys. Aliens usually don't like really excite me. Like they're cool. They do me. But there's just so much that we don't even know about our own, like Earth. Yeah. I and, just think that I, the world, the entire universe, we have no idea what's going on out right, there. Right, right. We I have am, like a fraction of I'm an idea. Very, uh, yeah, I'm very fascinated by by um, aliens and that sort of thing. But I do think that a lot of like UFO sightings and encounters with aliens could probably be correlated to other things or might have more to do with things actually taking place on our planet rather than coming from somewhere else. Right. Because I think I said in a previous episode, 
we are such an incredibly unremarkable species that if something that has the capacity to travel intergalactically came here, it, we would be like, it would be like us looking at an ant farm. Yeah. They'd just, probably be like, oh, geez, they're killing their own planet. Let's just get. Yeah, they might be like, these things are really interesting to watch, but we don't actually give a shit about them because they don't know how to do anything. They they started watching Jersey Shore and they were like, you know what? No, Let's this fucking planet nuke needs this to place. burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I also think it would be incredibly naive to think that we're alone in a universe that we literally don't even know how big it is. A an expansive, ever expanding, massive universe that we will never know everything of. But that being said, like I, you know, I I am interested in ufology and, and that sort of stuff, and I think there's a lot of credit to be given to sightings of UFOs and sightings of extraterrestrial beings. That said, I don't think it's. I, let me go on the record and say it's a massive waste of our time and money to be trying to travel to other planets. I'm, I'm just saying that right now. I think it's stupid, and I think it's a waste of money. Because we are destroying our planet and we need to focus our resources on saving it. Because if we don't, it's not going to be here. And it's not going to matter. We are not going to develop fast enough to get to another planet to save our species. Whoa, why would you say something so controversial yet so brave? I don't know. I'm just, I ain't scared of shit. (laughs) Except for our fucking planet. Yeah, except for our fucking planet dying. And I'm not even... Honestly, I'm not scared of that. No, because, because it's... not it's, going to affect me. You know what? Who it's going to affect? People. It's, it's The gonna world affect... is going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not even going to affect us, honestly. We are not going to experience its effects. And I think that's why so many people think it's not true or just don't care about it. Like, No, because... it's because Al Gore said... Yeah. Global warming. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's, it's I don't know, it's one of those things that's it's like, in the long run, it's not going to affect me. I'm going to be dead but long before the planet becomes uninhabitable. But, you know, three, four, five, six more generations down the line, those people are going to suffer. That's why we're not planning on having children. Yeah, that's exactly why. why that's would not I, the only reason but, why. Yeah, but it's a contributing factor. Why would I want to carry on my bloodline in a planet that we're... Destroying every day. That's dying slowly. And we know? don't care. Yeah. To, you know, five, six hundred more years, it's going to be, there's going to be large swaths of the planet right now that are not, no longer inhabitable by humans. The area around the equator, equator will be so fucking hot, nobody will be able to live there. Yeah. So, like, they're, that's going to cause a mass, I don't know, I'll get off my fucking soapbox. Point is, Elon Musk, fuck you. <laughs> Jeff Bezos, fuck you. Jeffrey. Richard Branson, fuck you. Jeffrey Quit wasting Bezos. fucking money on your stupid ass space race and try to save the planet that we live on now, you worthless. Anyway. He's fired up. Moving along. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. <laughs> we love it here. Planet <laughs> Earth is so good. <laughs> you know what is great? Traveling the planet while we can. Because it's a beautiful fucking place. And while I love we, it so much. While we still have glaciers. While we still have icebergs. That's right. While there's still amazing things to go and do and see. And I'm, I'm going to keep doing them. Do it I now. Because I love it. 
do it now because you don't know if these things are going to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I enjoyed these stories from Manchester. It was interesting. the The story of the hills was cool. The that there's a freaking serial killer. Yeah. Well, I mean, probably not anymore. I think he's in prison now. But yeah. But New Hampshire is beautiful. I can't wait to go for my graduation. I think it's going to be fun. We get to finally go see New Hampshire. It's one of the few up in the Northeast that we haven't made it to yet. So I'm excited for that. That's why Manchester's right up at the top of the list for us. And I hope it is for you too. And you don't even have to get that far off an interstate to go visit it. I mean, it's it's just right there. And I'm sure when you get there, you're going to meet some amazing people from the Northeast. Oh, yeah. You're going to pet some amazing llamas. That's right. You're probably going to eat some awesome food. Drink some delicious beer. Maybe see a UFO. I hope so. And hopefully... These are the places you'll go.